Putting a podcast together is a little like making a delicious meal. You need great basic ingredients, expertly sourced, put together with patience and finesse, mixed with a nose for a good story, a soupçon of panache, and a pinch of provocation. So are we ready to go? Yes, Hello again and welcome to Radio Cycling, bringing you the key news stories within professional bike racing in partnership with Sigma Sports. Here's what's on the menu. Pogacar leaving it late with just two race days before the tour. Cannon in crisis after doping scandal hits women's team. UCI finally cracked down on Russian rider with army links. Uzbeks left shame-faced in world's qualifying drama. From a new road bike to a wardrobe refresh, Sigma Sports keeps you moving, whether you're a commuter, racer, or social rider. At Sigma Sports, you get the products you want from the brands you love. With fast shipping, easy returns, and industry-leading customer service, shop in-store or online at sigmasports.com. My name's Jeremy Whittle, and joining me is our man patrolling the Franco-Spanish border, Peter Cossins. Hello, Pete. Hello, Jeremy. Also with us... The man who loves cycling so much that he wears his Tour de France lanyard all year round, Chris Marshall-Bell. Hello, Chris. Not quite true, but hello, Jeremy. Now, what's this about um, stitches and, and facial hair? What happened? So yesterday on my way back from football, a tournament that we did not win, I had a little crash with someone in a bike lane and I've ended up in the hospital with eight stitches to my chin. So it left my mom extremely worried on the other end of the phone, but... I will survive. I will make it back for another Tour de France lanyard. I will survive. The Gloria Gaynor of uh, cycling podcasts. There you go. <laughs> so let's dive straight in with an update on double Tour de France champion Tadej Pogacar, his recovery from his wrist injury and his rather derailed build-up to this year's Grand Depart in Bilbao. Uh, Pete, you've been across this story. Yes, I have, Jeremy. Uh, last Friday evening, Tadej Pogacar sat down with uh, 66 members of the press, remotely, of course. So he wasn't actually with them. He was at the Sierra Nevada in Spain starting a training camp. And he gave his first interview since he crashed out of Liège-Bastogne-Liège, fracturing his left wrist. Over the best part of 20 minutes, Pogacar gave his thoughts on a wide range of subjects, including Primoz Roglic's victory in last week's Giro d'Italia, which he agreed provided a form of redemption for his compatriot following Roglic's loss of the 2020 Tour de France on the penultimate day. He also said, a little more controversially, that if he were Remco of Ennepool, he would want to ride the Tour de France in the World Champions jersey. Although he added of the Belgian's absence from the Tour that he didn't know anything about the state of Ennepool's health after he was affected by Covid and forced to leave the Giro d'Italia. Yet the most interesting part of the press conference came when he talked about his recovery from a broken wrist and how his programme is likely to look going into the Tour de France. He will ride just two races, the Slovenian National Time Trial and Road Race Championship events. He said he would have preferred to have had another race under his belt before the Tour, but training commitments, which include altitude camps at Sierra Nevada in Spain this coming week, when he'd also get a scan on his wrist, and then another at Sestriere in Italy, won't allow him to do more racing. In between these two training camps, Pogacar will recon some of the tour stages. The Slovenian admitted that the risk could well be hampering when the tour gets underway though. Well now, uh, yeah, the first couple of days when I try to go on the road, first of all I, should, I shouldn't go on the road until six weeks, so yeah, I'm a bit uh, stupid and disobey doctor's orders. I push the team, I push everybody and 
try to go on the bike, but yeah, I know I cannot uh, put too much pressure on the on the scaphoid on the hand, and yeah, I was really careful the first few days. Just yeah, I did rollers, go out on the on the road, just two two three hours. Obviously, I'm I'm riding with a cast, a plastic cast that I can take off and on, and uh, is now I have few different casts. Uh, one for normal life, one for bike, and then when I'm already almost at the end, just a little bit more support around the wrist. But yeah, I think for the tour, maybe I will still need some soft brace around the wrist just for a bit of support. I hope that I get more or less mobility uh, to go out of the saddle and sprinting um, until the before the tour. So there's a bit of uncertainty there from Pogacar about how he's, what kind of shape that he's going to be in when he starts the tour. Yet the two-time Tour de France champion has always been a glass-half-full kind of guy and he insisted that his layoff could have some benefits too. Yeah, uh, sometimes setbacks can be even, even good, in, uh, especially in our big, uh, big seasons. At least you take some time off, rest the body and uh, the, the mind. So... Yeah, uh, sometimes it can be good, but uh, and luckily it's not a huge setback. It's it's just a hand. It's not uh, it's nothing with the legs or or head or something like this. So I could train almost not normally, but I could do some some great hours. So yeah, I think I I would not call it a real setback, but uh, just unlucky situation. But uh, I think I. I can pull out of this uh, a lot. Pete, given how well Jumbo Visma are going right now, there's been some surprise that Pogacar is racing so little before the tour. Yeah, I think um, I, th- I think we all knew that his obviously his racing program was going to be affected, but the expectation was that he would still ride the Tour of Slovenia, which he tends to ride towards um, the end of June. And uh, but he's cut that from his program. He just says there's 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 no space for it really. I mean he's He's obviously got to focus on doing these altitude camps, which are crucial to his his preparation. I'm guessing that he would have done some recon of the tour stages much, much earlier, kind of following following Liège, which where, where his season was going to break anyway. So he would have done some some recons in kind of late April, early May. So he's just had to rejig everything. And, and like you said, I mean, there's actually... I think an advantage. I mean, Pogacar said it himself to going into the tour undercooked. It's a 21 day race. Um, you can find form pretty quickly, but I mean, he needs to find it right at the start. The first two stages in the Basque country are extremely tough. He admitted that. He said he's really looking forward to them because they, they suit him. But the question is, will he be ready for them? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I would tend to agree with Pete that I don't actually think this is going to affect Pogacar too much but looking at the races he's ridden this season he's only ridden two stage races and Ringergaard is obviously at the Dauphiné now and when he finishes that he would have ridden seven more uh, race days this season but crucially four stage races and I wonder how that's going to affect things when we get into the tour because racing a one day race even though it's more intense than a stage race you know kind of those five six hours it's a completely different kettle of fish to racing a stage race over seven to eight days so I think Jumbo will actually be quite happy that Vingegaard's got more more mileage in his legs for a race. You know, he's he's got more stage racing mileage in his legs, and 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 that could count towards something. I think. I think one other f- fact that's interesting. He kind of mentioned it at the at the end of one of his 
uh, one of his um, answers there, saying about how he wants to be able to get out of the saddle and, and, and push hard. I mean, obviously that's crucial to, to the way that Pogacar races. We, we know that um, he's not like a Venerpool who'll just kind of sit in the saddle and just churn up a big gear even faster and faster and just ride everybody off his wheel. He needs that punch. He needs to be able to get out of the saddle and kind of swing his bike around. And I mean, I'm guessing that um, his wrist will be will be OK when he starts the tour, but whether it will impact him a little bit. I mean, he didn't even seem to know whether it would or not. So there's a question mark over that. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you can almost see, you know, you know, looking at those openings, the opening week of the tour, actually, which, as you say, looks looks incredibly hard. And, you know, after after the Basque country, you've then got the Pyrenees as well. So his climbing needs to be at its very best and if he has got any problem with his upper body strength or his upper body kind of stability then uh, surely that's a major issue it will be yeah and, and actually this year's tour it looks i mean a lot of riders have already said that that opening week is maybe the most brutal in the tour's history so he's going to have to be on it from day one i mean stages one and stages two they're not going to be vital towards the gc but he's just he's a sort of bike rider that wants to win it all at all chances and that stage one into Bilbao it suits a rider like him so he want to be at 100% straight away and then the Pyrenees comes as early as stage five so even though he's happy to to slowly get into the race and he's right in saying it's a 21 day race he needs to be on it from day one kilometer zero and if he's not then it could be yeah yeah Absolutely, because this is not an old school Tour de France route, is it? This is not like where you've got a prologue and then, you know, a week of flat stages. That's, he's not got that luxury, so it'd be interesting to see how it pans out. Anyway, as we sat down to record this show, more details were coming through about the positive doping control that's hit the Canyon SRAM team over this weekend. Chris and Pete, what's, what's the latest on this? Chris, have you been following this story as it's unfolded? Yeah, I have. It's it's one of those news stories that we don't like to hear, isn't it? But unfortunately, just still come around every once in a while, while, you know, when a rider does, does test positive for a banned substance. In this case, it's Canyon Sram's 22-year-old Belgian road and track rider, Shari Bossud. I hope I've said her name correctly. Uh, and she has tested positive for let for Letrezule after the tour de Normandy in March. It's a, it's a substance that has a similar effect on the body as testosterone. Both her A and B samples return positive tests. It's a drug that is used in, in the treatment of breast cancer medicine to help get their hormone balance in order. But so yet hasn't spoken about this. There is a press conference scheduled for Monday morning, so we should have more information when we, uh, well, on our next podcast. Interestingly, her, her fellow Belgian Tone Arts was given a two-year suspension last year for testing positive for the same drug. The Cyclocross star insisting that it was due to contamination. He took to social media on Sunday to support Boisette, alleging that it was another case of miscarriage of justice. I think Pete's going to explain a little bit more about that in a second. But this is really big news for Belgian cycling as, as she's the Madison World Champion along with Lotte Kopecky. And this could have serious implications for the Belgian team ahead of next year's Paris Olympics. Yeah, it's interesting, Chris, because, uh, like you said, Tunarts, who's, uh, well, one of Belgium's, one of the world's major cyclocross stars, he um, he tested positive in 2022 for this same substance, Letrozole. And uh, he put a comment up on social media today say, saying, we are one year later and I'm still in deep misery. Then there is another case. I can well imagine what Shari is going through now. This shouldn't happen. Another athlete who is also human, who will go through a deep valley with her whole family. 
without having done anything wrong. He continued, my emotions have turned to a kind of anger lately, although I try not to get too worked up about it. I've done everything I can to prove my innocence, but I can't get much further. The days are ticking away. Every day that passes is a step. The days go slow, too slow. I still have no idea of my future as a person and a rider. And Arts is able to return to racing at the start of uh, 2024, but he's still protesting in his innocence. And what's interesting about his positive test and Boussoit's positive test is that they, they occurred in the same French town in Normandy, which, I mean, it's just like a what? almost an unbelievable what? coincidence. Really? Yeah. So I've, I've just, just before I came on, I read uh, an article done by Kit Nicholson on um, a, a colleague who works for the Escape Collective website. And on there, they say, if I just scroll down and t- talk about the fact that um, Arts tested positive in, in 2022 on a stage into Flamonville, which is exactly where um, Basoit tested positive in March this year. Um, what's interesting was that... That's, that's, that's weird, isn't it? That's, that's very strange. Yeah, I mean, they, they, um, Escape actually contacted a Belgian toxicologist and the toxicologist said... Um, one of the one of the things about letrozole is it, it, it's used as a as a hormone within um, for within livestock farming, and Normandy, of course, is one of the great centres of French French agriculture. It's it produces a lot of beef. A lot. Of, I mean, it, it is it is kind of the centre of the French dairy industry, basically. And so there, I mean. Who knows how this has got into um, Bosoit's system? But I mean, it's just an astonishing coincidence that this has happened to her in the same place it's happened to a compatriot two nerds. Well, my half, it's difficult to know what to say, isn't it? Because obviously, um, past our past experience of cases like this, where there's too much of a coincidence, do do worry you a great deal. But uh, I guess we have to be patient, and we have to let. Time reveal the truth of this issue. So let's move on to another. Well, it's a story we covered on the very first episode of Radio Cycling when we brought you the news about the Russian rider in the women's peloton with extensive links to the Russian army. Maria Novolodskaya, known as Masha, has since been denied neutral athlete status by cycling's governing body, the UCI, banning her from certain races on the international calendar along with two other Russians. Now, Chris, you broke this story, and obviously it's gone on to create um, some ripples within the sport and elsewhere in the sports media as well. Explain explain to us what the latest news on this is. I will. Just before I explain the latest, I will remind listeners of the background of this story. So Masha races for the British continental team Life Plus Wahoo, and she won a bronze medal at the Tokyo Olympics in the Madison. An investigation by... by Radio Cycling in May, uncovered that the 23-year-old had been partly funded by the Central Army Sports Club in Russia, which has deep ties with the Russian state. She was also listed as an ensign, which is a low commissioner officer. When we broke the story, her team Life Plus Wahoo informed us that they did not know anything about these links and these titles, but they said that Masha had promised them that she was against the ongoing war in Ukraine and that her ensign title was honorary. She subsequently vowed to withdraw her membership from the CSKA, when she had, when she returned home to Russia around 10 days ago. 
It was around the time of our story that the UCI announced a neutral athlete status for Russian and Belarusian athletes wanting to compete in international events such as the Worlds and the European Championships. And on June the 1st, the UCI announced that Masha and two other Russian track riders had had their requests refused. Now, application for the status partly depended on riders proving that they are not currently or have previously been contracted to the Russian military, including any affiliated entities. Now, it appears that... The UCI have seen Masha's links with the CSKA. You know, she is partly funded by them and deemed her as having too many ties with the Russian state. We did try to speak with Life Plus Wahoo's manager, Tom, Tom Varney, before we recorded. But yeah, he wasn't actually available for comment. Mm. So the UCI have finally woken up to it, basically. I mean, obviously, this wasn't public knowledge before, but uh, didn't seem to take... I mean. A, you worked very assiduously on it, but it didn't, it didn't seem to take an awful lot to find out this was the case. And you, you'd think that both the UCI, at, at such a sensitive time in, in modern history, with, with the war in Ukraine still going on, you'd, you'd have thought they'd be more aware of this sooner, wouldn't you? You're absolutely right. I was tipped off about the story by a source, but I found out 98% of the information just by doing a bit of, of open source journalism on the internet. It was all there for me. And... I've been trying to seek clarification on this all weekend as to what it actually means. You know, is she banned from all racing? And I've not had any clear answers back from anyone. However, it appears that this only applies to international events like the Worlds and and kind of the European Championships. So she should still be free to compete in other races for Life Plus. But crucially for Masha, even though she is a road rider, her background is track cycling. And this means that she can no longer compete in international track events as a neutral rider, such as the World Championships, if she wanted to. And that most probably means that next year's Olympics, where she would have been aiming to win a second successive medal. Now, as it stands, for Russian riders and Belarusian riders to be able to compete at those Olympics, they have to have this neutral athlete status. And there's still, what was it, there's still 13 months left until the Olympics, so things can still change. But... You would imagine that she's got no hope now of going to Paris. It was it was interesting to read that only two riders were actually granted this status, including Astana sprinter Gleb Sarita. Also quite curious, I thought, was Bora Hansgrohe's Alexander Vlasov, who was the most well-known current Russian rider in the men's peloton. He doesn't even appear to have applied. Now, I don't know why that is the case, but... Either he doesn't want to represent his, you know, or he, he doesn't want to be in world championships or there was an issue with his application. We don't quite know yet. Sigma Sports, where I don't forget you can find everything you need from a new road bike to a wardrobe refresh. Sigma Sports, where you get the products you want from the brands you love. Sigma Sports keeps you moving whether you're a commuter, racer or social rider. With fast shipping, easy returns and industry-leading customer service, shop in-store or online at sigmasports.com. So on to our final story for this show. Pete, this is a strange tale. Can you set the scene for us? Strange it is a strange tale, Jeremy. You're exactly right. So let's go back to early last month where there was some controversy at the tour of Oktosh in Uzbekistan when local rider... Oleg Beck side off when the opening time trial, an uphill test that was 9.5 kilometres long. He won it by more than three minutes ahead of Kazakhstan rider Anton Kuzmin, who until recently was racing for the pro-continental Gazprom team. There are reports that Sidoff, who'd never previously won a time trial and isn't renowned as a climber, and his third place Uzbek compatriot, had received assistance from motorbikes in the race. 
There were allegations that Sidoff had hung on to a motorbike driven by his coach. This might seem an insignificant event in a minor race, but it had fairly significant repercussions as Uzbekistan's world ranking rose from 50 to 36 as a result of the UCI points that the two riders earned, resulting in them qualifying one rider for this year's World Championships in Glasgow. I spoke about the race and that particular incident to former World Tour racer and two-time Portuguese national road champion, Jose Mendes, who now rides for the NSJBI team that is an amalgam of Portuguese and Filipino riders. I mean, obviously the, the race gained some... Uh, there was controversy on the first stage because uh, the Uzbeki guy who won it finished so far ahead of everybody else. I mean... I think three minutes yeah. on the mountain time trial. What was what was your experience of that day? We talked with the commissaire, the international commissaire in the race, and he said also was not um, normal, but he has no evidence to make something. You know? Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. Some people said they even the. The motorbikes in the race from the organization give some help. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he, he followed the motor or hold the motor. I don't know. But uh, okay, that's not the way we we want to be in sports. We okay, some guys do it like this. I think they have no not too much to do in when they go for the big races. They cannot do this. Yeah, we're still waiting to hear whether the UCI will take any action in this matter. As Jose Mendez noted, there appears to be no proof that cheating had taken place. But in the meantime, we'll be keeping an eye on the on Oleg Beck Sidos results, his latest being 36th place in the Hilly Tour of Boston League in his home country three weeks ago, which put him in the bottom third of the finishers that day. It's really interesting, isn't it, how the lengths that people will go to to gain an advantage. I mean, I, I, as I've just heard from yourself there, Pete. There's no evidence yet that he did cheat, although reports from the time seem to point towards that. I'm, I'm actually off I'm actually off to Belgium on Tuesday to interview Femke van den Driesch, or hopefully listeners might remember that she got caught with a motor in her bike in 2016. And speaking with people for that story in the last two, three months, I've just came to the opinion that no matter the level of sport, even if it's extremely low, there will always be people who are willing to take things into their own hands and to do things that are not morally acceptable just to gain an advantage, even if the prize isn't so big. I mean, in this case, the prize is a place at the World Championships. That is a big prize. But <laughs> to get inside the mind of a cheater, I, th I think it's, it's really fascinating to to see what drives people forward. But with this case, we still need, we are, yeah, we're still waiting for a bit of proof, I guess. Well, I guess this is, this is all part of it, isn't it? That the, um, I mean, Jose, when I spoke to him, he, he said that uh, he spoke to some of the riders from Azerbaijan who were kind of, uh, said a bit more wise to what was, what was going on and kind of understood what the Uzbeks were up to. And, they, I think it was they who brought the incident to the commissaire's attention, but uh, I mean, if it's if it's not on TV, it's not a kind of a, appearing on GCN or Eurosport or somewhere else. There's, there's there's just no evidence at all. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there were lots of fans at the roadside in Uzbekistan, but 
it's I mean it was a a 1.2 race so it was kind of the the lowest category for 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 professionals the lowest category of one day race and you kind of imagine it was it, it was low key and there weren't many people there I mean I don't suppose we're going to get any footage appearing on the internet so there'll be footage somewhere you know there'll be footage there'll be footage on a phone somewhere if we've got any if we've got any Uzbek listeners who uh, yes. just happened to be yeah. there that day please please where are we ranking know. Uzbekistan at the moment but anyway. I think I think we're probably uh, we're, we're ranking okay. pretty much where everybody else is ranking as like zero <laughs> listeners but who knows <laughs> I mean we don't we know don't we because we have seen footage that um, motorbikes are quite regularly used and uh, wing mirrors are quite regularly used, even by the great and good. Um, obviously, Vincenzo Nibali was chucked off the Tour of Spain, wasn't he, for hanging on to a wing mirror a few years ago. And we know that other riders have been widely, well-known riders have been widely accused of hanging on to the back of motorbikes or being motor-paced and so on and so forth. And we've had uh, riders throughout of the World Championships in, in Harrogate. We had a rider thrown off, didn't we, as well? So, you know, there's... There's form for this kind of thing, isn't there? It's just, it's just um, if it's lifted the, the nation from um, relative anonymity into the World Championships in Glasgow, that's going to be something that will probably come back and bite them, I'd imagine, at some point. I just hope that they've got the funds to go to Glasgow because, as we reported on Radio Cycling two, three weeks ago, just getting to Glasgow in August is going to cost an arm and a leg, so... I hope they have got some funds. Well, I hope they've got the funds so they can get to Glasgow so they can then have a press conference about the motorbike. <laughs> That's what I'm keen. <laughs> anyway, well, more on that later, I guess, as it as it unfolds. So that's that's it for this show. I like the texture, but I think some of it was overseasoned and possibly even undercooked. A little perhaps like Tade Pogachar. Yes, sir! We will be back next Friday. Thanks for listening and bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>